Quentin Tarantino is human IMDb. He's IMDb before IMDb existed. He is. Yeah. Listening to that podcast, I realized that he is what a lot of sports fans are with like statistics like did you ever have your uncle that's like you know mickey mantle stole this many bases and Mm -hmm. that he's that but for films yeah because he'll rattle off like the actors and not like the known actors like the obscure actors Mm -hmm. like he just he knows they're like oh yeah and they were in this and they were not that good and and i like that you can never take a review from him personally i don't think he would ever hold it against you if he didn't like you but you had a good performance or vice versa. I think he just calls it straight. Like you can say you sucked in that, but you were great in that. Yeah. Because he is the original sort of this. This is the the thing that folks tried to emulate after him was that he was the original video store clerk turned filmmaker. Like he was the one, right? Yeah. He was the one that lived that dream of folks. Folks, after the, after that happened, people just went to go work at video stores. <laughs> just to they would that. just go get jobs. They quitted. They quit their Wall Street jobs and they went to go work at Blockbuster, so they could become Quentin Tarantino. Because it's like I didn't realize this was a way to do it. <laughs> you know. And, um, yeah, his. I forgot the point of what we were talking about before. Oh no, he was just he, he was human IMDb. Yeah. His is like, I think it stems from the fact that he's from, he's a little bit, he's from that generation where, um, and I don't know uh, if kids today, the kids watch and understand this. There was a time when you couldn't just like find out every piece of information about a movie that you wanted to instantly on your phone no. in seconds. No. It was like you had to seek information out. So there was magazines, there was news articles. You'd want to get a magazine that had an article about a movie that you had heard of, like the the trades. You had to go to the trades. Oh, this is getting made. And like um, you wouldn't hear about it for a year or two because that's how long it takes to make a movie. It's, oh, that's that thing I heard about years ago. There used to be, I used to get on this thing where you could look up things that were getting made and that were crewing and casting and you'd see them where they're, where they're shooting. Um, but there was limited info. Yeah. So he like sucked, he absorbed it all in anything he could. You had to be well read. And he was, he was well read. Like he read everything he can, he can get his hands on film wise. I remember those little, those little blurbs that were in the like lifestyle section of the newspaper, like when you had to look up movie times in the newspaper, you'd get these little articles sometimes in there. Like, here's the rumors of sequels that are coming out soon. Yeah. And talk about fake news. You know, I, I remember I was promised an E.T. part two. Yeah. And an officer and gentleman part two and got neither. And those two stick in my mind of reading that in the newspaper. But, I mean. You that just, would have been great. An officer and gentleman. <laughs> Plural. <laughs> oh man, because those were those two competing. That was the same year, right? Was that I don't 82? know if that's the same year. It might have been the same year, but yeah, I mean, now we see that all the time. But back then, you trust journalists, and you just assume that it would be right. But now you'll get BS sequel stuff, and you're like, ah, you, you, your source. No, it gets called out immediately because everyone has their own sources. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, that's not true. So you yeah. can't just throw this out and and hope that somebody reads it. But yeah, going back to to Quentin, you know, we'll dive into it. You know, this his the video archives podcast this week. Cafe. 
is always one of like you you called it you said it's 100% cafe. Then I guess I don't know if we need to do the definition of cafe here. You do the definition of cafe, de- yeah. folks. <clears throat> so you're just you're man, I, it, you know it's bad when you're trying to explain a wrestling term using wrestling terms. I was like it's when you know sell something. <laughs> but yeah, you just go through and you just perform you just go about like something is true even if it's not true but you just go about like it's true. And when they were going through, when you first texted me, Rick Dalton died. I was just like, <laughs> I was thinking about it. And I was just like, well, I know Rick Dalton from the movie, but I was just like, and then I was like, is there a Rick Dalton, like somebody else that I don't know about? And then the the snowball started building and I started seeing the tweets and I was like, oh no, Rick, it is Rick Dalton because I said he survived by his wife Francesca, who they managed to stay together, and they were living in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So this whole podcast are just they going... stayed together. Cliff gave them six months. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and they did it, and he died, and he was in his nineties. But like, before we start going into the kayfabe of it, like, what do you like? What do you think Quentin Tarantino was up to with this? I think I know exactly what it is, honestly. Um, Because as soon as it started happening, I started Googling and researching are now the same thing. I started looking up as much as I could about it. No, he wrote actually an entire Rick Dalton book. He has an entire Rick Dalton book that he has written, which is like a a kayfabe book going through the the history of his career, everything he was ever in. Um. And I think he's building. I don't know how he arrived at the at the point where Rick Dalton. This was the day Rick Dalton died. He must have written it in the book a long time ago and just been like, "Oh wait, we've we've gotten there. Rick Dalton died today." <laughs> oh so I, he, I I heard I've heard that it may or may not get released, or he might put it out. But he has an entire Rick Dalton book, and I think for that podcast uh, that we're pulling from that book. That's what it was because they were no selling everything, and then Gala and Roger Avery were part of it too and you know he's gonna go through right because I mean, he he's like the ultimate showman too like he's so passionate about his stuff and he'll just go through but they were going through and they were coming up with some stuff he's like oh i remember him in that show and then they were kind of confusing you because they were mixing real actors up with like worked actors and like vic morrow's in that and darren mcgavin's in that and i'm like wait they're talking about real actors now but in worked projects <laughs> and no selling it at all like they he's just... created this whole alternate universe he's got his own mcu <laughs> the tarantino mcu where he's spun off off of once upon a time in hollywood has this alternate hollywood history with rick dalton in it it's yeah it's fantastic and like you said you can't stop listening to it but it is cool and you you're the one that told me about or he told he told a story, and then you relayed the story to me uh, that there's two universes, and there's a Tarantino in real life universe, and then those in real life characters watch the Tarantino film universe that are in there. Exactly. That's so complex. So Kill Bill is in the uh, Tar- is in the Tarantino movie universe. Movie universe. So no. all the characters in the Tarantino movies watch Kill Bill. They watch Death Proof. The guys in Reservoir Dogs watch Kill Bill. <laughs> If that makes the guys in Pulp Fiction watch Death Proof, <laughs> and they probably watch. I feel like they watch Django, but um, 
uh, Hateful Eight is real. <laughs> so, so that actually Django, happened. In Django is a Django is a Tarantino verse movie where Hateful Eight is real. I guess one is a little less extreme, right? Well, there was no. Uh, they didn't play with history, like real history. Is that because there was two movies that he played with real history? But did Django? Did he play with real history too? A little bit. Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. I only say this because I think that Django is more of an action revenge story, whereas uh, Hateful Eight is a bunch of people just sitting in a house. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems more realistic. Yeah, that's yeah. You might be right. That that's a really good way to put it. But did you, so you started doing a little bit of research. You didn't check out any of the other real stuff that he talked about that he did they drop any real projects in there i know they dropped in real actors but were there real films like he was talking about steve mcqueen and he was talking about burt reynolds i don't know how much of it is real i feel like they're just spinning rick dalton into real projects though <laughs> it's if yeah you you need to listen to this because it is an incredible piece of entertainment because you never during this whole show, do you ever see the seams? I don't see the seams yet. And I was looking for the seams. Because you told me it's was So when as soon as you said, okay, it's kayfe, you got to try to find the seams. I yeah. can't find the seams. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. Um, maybe you catch a little bit of e- extra laughter here and there that maybe you wouldn't normally be there. Uh, but, like, uh, no, it's it's solid. And the what about the interview that he's like that interview that Quentin Tarantino conducted with Rick Dalton back in 1991, but yeah. then he did it, and I was like, okay, so how far are they going to go with it? Are they going to get an actor's voice? But it just had Quentin reenacting the the interview, right? So that would that would have been probably the only thing that kind of threw me a little bit, but I'm sure Leonardo's pretty busy that he couldn't come back and just like, Hey, we need you to do this. in an, in an older voice, <laughs> no one's, t- you can't text Leonardo DiCaprio. Come be on my podcast. <laughs> it's rare. It's rare. Yeah. That is rare. I just, uh, I lost what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. <laughs> but no, I was going to just say that it was just when you're writing, you know, and, and you've written scripts and we've written scripts together and apart. He just goes so far with his writing. Like it almost is like it really is coming from another universe. You mean like the, in the details of the characters? because yeah, he's not even, it sounds like he writes complete backstories and side stories and side universe stories for the characters before he even gets to the script. Yeah. With all the scripts have you that you've ever written, have you done that? Like have you written I don't have the I don't I just I don't have not I don't want to say the patience, but I just don't have the follow through to do that. I can see how that oh, that's so great. That uh, but like it's I think Quentin though, he's a writer, right? He's a writer who directs. Yeah. After he's done directing, he's still going to write. So it's like he's never been uh, like, you know, the uh, director for hire. No, you know? no way. So I think that because he's a writer, 
he just goes off on tangents and it's like builds this and builds that. I see a lot of potential in that though, and I don't know if he's planning this. And if he's not, you should tag him in this tag video archives. I feel like he's building out his own Tarantino verse now uh, for the future because I'll just, I mean, because like, you know, going into the podcast, whatever, we'll jump around back and forth. There's lots of parts of it that I like. Um, I love when they're talking about the firemen because I really want to see the firemen. Yes, exactly. That was another one. You're I like, want to oh, s- so good. I want to see the firemen, and like it's so dope that like uh, Cliff ended up directing Firemen two and three. <laughs> he became a director because I just re- listened to the book again. Um, I re-listened to it again. Oh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The Once Upon book. a Time in Hollywood book, and between this and the book. It's funny how much they downplay the entire ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's it's always a throwaway line. It's just like, oh, some hippies broke into their house and they had to kill them and, and just blow past it. And then, yeah, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like in Once Upon a Time in, Time in Hollywood, it's just, you know, the the huge finish yes, of the, the movie. It's the main event. Yeah. It is 100% the main event. But um, it's just, so imagine a universe where... Uh, Maybe Quentin writes the fireman scripts and books somebody to direct those scripts, not him. But he books his Cliff Booth to go ahead and direct them. Can you imagine that? That would be... Like, I think that he knows, he understands things so well. That's why his career has gone so great. He's never fallen into the Hollywood traps. No. The worst he ever did was Death Proof, which was just a commercial failure. He had one commercial failure, you know? He had one thing go sour, and it wasn't even a bad movie. It was just bad marketing. That was way bad marketing. It had nothing to do with the film at all. He should so die on that hill. He understands things so well about how Hollywood works. He was such a fan that he's never, he's just never, you know, um, misstepped. You know, I was listening to another sh- YouTube short talking about George Lucas and. You know, people forget how much of a maverick he really was, right? Because everyone just thinks, you know, the whole Star Wars merchandising. But in the whole reason, he was basically explaining why every other space knockoff and even the Disney Star Wars movies failed beyond him. Because he's like, you don't understand. I had a story I wanted to tell. I wanted to create a new real-life mythology. So I studied mythology. You know, he studied you know, all the, the hero's journey. And he did all this. And he's like, and the last thing I wanted to do was have some studio come in and screw it up. So that's why I ended up just creating my own company. Because he was a maverick. He's like, no, this is the story. I had. And there's not that many directors in Hollywood history that are like that. But Quentin Tarantino, yeah, with a bullet, he shot to the top of that list. Like we talked about this many times. He gets a pass no matter what. doesn't matter if it's, it's the revisionist history or the language that he uses or anything. He gets a pass because it's Quentin Tarantino and you, people are looking at it as art and not bullshit or commerce. Well, he, he gets a lot of heat, too, to be fair. He does. He gets plenty of heat, but he also knows how to circumvent the heat. He navigates the heat, yeah. And, like, he takes these questions on directly, and he's not afraid. And it's just, like, you know, you get the sense that if if for some reason his Hollywood career tanked, he would go back to running a video store. <laughs> he yeah. Why not? He, yeah, he totally would. It's just, and it would be fine, and he'd go back and talk to people about movies. But 
because he just was such a fan of Hollywood in general. He just never made the wrong choice, and he's making the right choice by retiring. It's true. All the great directors, maybe except for Scorsese, have fallen off and just they end up becoming directors for hire. Their films just don't get any attention. They go to video. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and he's just going to go ahead and call it on his own career and go off and just write the stories about the movie, you know, the, the, write stories that he would like to see made. And other folks can make them for a while. And he can sort of even drive that. Again, like I think, can you imagine? I, I'm super into the fireman. I want to see what the fireman is. <laughs> I want to watch all three firemen and and just like write those scripts Produce them yourself. Have someone else direct them. And it's just like you're building off of your own IP. It's great. Did the new uh, video archives. Oh, yeah. The newsletter came. It is in there. So I, don't, I was going to see if they actually talked about uh, the firemen in there. That's in our Dose Incredibles email. Oh, I get him too. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd love to, to actually see what it's about. But I think he's going to go down as one of the most memorable movie directors of all time. Oh, like, absolutely. He's already that. Yeah, he's already that. You know, and as time goes on, you know what I want to see? Do as do, write the script of 14 Fists of McCluskey and make and have oh someone God. make that. Like he's all these things he owns. He can like he just understands the business so well. What he's doing is is if he's if he's actually if he's moving in the direction to just have his Tarantino verse continue but like just Book it himself and not direct. It'd be great. Fourteenth list of McCluskey. I want to see. Yeah, what if? Yeah. That's... It occurred to me that that's seven guys. I didn't realize that. that I was thinking fourteen initially. Oh. It, it's seven because that each one has two fists. Two fist. <laughs> it's a great title. It is a, a great title, and I think you're right. I think he's creating. You know, he's expanding the Tarantino universe that you could literally. Who who wouldn't buy this brand? Like he's a brand. I don't think he's even how he's creating this brand, but he's no different, like you said, than the Star Wars or MCU, but it's a very, very special brand in the sense that, like, you can't just, you can't say, you know, some corporation can't come and buy that and say, we're going to make this, and then you're going to make shit. Exactly. It, it won't work. Yeah. You have to have a special, special love for the art to make this work, to really respect it. Yeah. Or else they won't. Like, this is an art that we talk about it. We were talking about Marvel struggles and Star Wars struggles. They're not respecting their IP, and the IP is is dying for it. This is, if you don't respect that IP, that IP will kill you. <laughs> like, Quentin Tarantino's like, if you try to do wrong by his stuff, it just won't work. The question is, does he have somebody like... You know, we talk about Dave Filoni on here a lot. Anytime we're talking about Star Wars. And the reason Dave Filoni works so well is because he's a huge fan. And he sat at the learning tree of George Lucas. He, George Lucas being the Dusty Rhodes, teaching you everything he can. And he took everything to heart. And that's why you can give Dave Filoni a Star Wars project. And it's going to feel like George Lucas was a part of this. Does Quentin Tarantino have a Dave Filoni? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know, right? We don't know. I think that's... We've never really gotten the sense that he does. He's always said his only one true collaborator was Sally Menke, right? Yeah. Um, 
we don't know, but I think that that's something that it's going to be is going to be explored now as he's moving into retirement. And I, it just makes you wonder of, you know, it almost has a little bit of a feel of Andy Kaufman that yeah. it was just like so special and so unique that it really was hard to replicate and or kind of like pay it forward correctly. Yeah. And in like of him, like himself, he's got two Tarantino universes that he occupies. It's like the movies he writes and direct and that are directed by other people are different than the movies that he writes and directs himself. Right. You know, (laughs) because I think the reason his films stand out because of the style that he brings to them. You take something he wrote, imagine Kill Bill and someone else directed it, right? Um, And did it in their style. He does it in a very, he just does it in a very unique style, the way he visualizes things. Yeah. And they're always just like off kilter. He doesn't, he doesn't, Go the obvious route on anything. No. You know, he's always option C. <laughs> and, you know, it, we talk about this when you're when when all the Pulp Fiction knockouts knockoffs came out. Right. And there was something like Go. Go was good. I mean, there was there was good movies, but there was none that could capture that option C that you're talking about. That very specific flavor, that spice that you just can't get right because it's one of one right and that's what makes it so like as far as like it's awesome to be a part and be around during this section of film like it was just like it's cool we're we're around when quentin tarantino because we've heard the stories of like alfred hitchcock right that's the only comparison that i can think of that people still speak of to this day when they study directors even though ironically i don't think quentin tarantino is a fan of alfred hitchcock right he doesn't like alfred hitchcock he doesn't like it right but but at the same time like we were talking about earlier he does respect methods and he respects performances and he might not like but he did you know give credit where it's credits due but he doesn't like them but is there any other director that you can kind of think of that we're still speaking about from so long ago that stood the test of time. The, like, and I'm talking about like the average person, like you, you know, of course there'll be more film, the deeper you get into film, like, yeah, you're going to know all these, you know, it's like, yeah, I know Brian De Palma and stuff, but like the average person, is there anyone beyond Alfred Hitchcock? Does the average person know Scorsese? As time is going on? No, no. I don't think so. Like, I feel like, for a while, yes. And I would even argue the same thing with the closest you can get to like Scorsese is Spielberg. Like a, I feel like he's the closest you get where people knew who he was. Yeah, but, but I don't think people go to Spielberg movies and be like not like Spielberg they do movie. anymore. No. Yeah. Like Scorsese, you're right. Like you can put the the name above the title and it and it's working, but Spielberg, he became more of a producer is why I think people knew his name. But Hitchcock, he went to a Hitchcock movie. But yeah, well, he would do those trailers where he'd come out and like be in, you know, be himself yeah. and introduce the film, right? Yeah, and be like, "This film is so scary. It's if you die, it's your, it's not my fault." 
<laughs> Sign this contract when you walk in. We're going to offer contracts to folks who walk in. If you die when you watch the movie, we're not liable. So just so you know. How many tickets did that sell? Oh, yeah. That's a lot of tickets. I guess you have to have a little bit of that showmanship. You know, and yeah. Tarantino has that. And I, do, and I don't want... I don't want to call it showmanship in a way that sounds like it's disparaging, like he's working a gimmick. I think, no, that's just who he is. It's a show, though. Yeah. The movies are a show. The movies are a show. And We're he going knows. to see show, and there should be showmanship. Yeah. By the... Even by everyone that's a part of it. Yeah. You know, that's why when you hear all the... the scumbag stories that come out of Hollywood to shame because it's like man this is supposed to be the greatest industry in the world how how much fun can it be that you're telling these stories yeah but I just think that you know in the future people are going to try to study replicate and try to understand his mind but there's no there's nobody like it here's the here's the real kicker if you want to just go a little bit trippy like I used to go a little bit. So this is a simulation, right? Now you have someone decides to play the avatar of Quentin Tarantino, who is who he is, the video clerk turned, you know, fantastic director that has all these universe of movies. And now that is another universe with itself that we currently exist in. So it's three layers deep yeah. with the Quentin Tarantino. Like no other cinematic universe can say that if this is a simulation, my cinematic universe is three layers deep. All the rest are time is a flat circle. They're all one. Quentin Tarantino is two that we know of three more than likely. Right. That's So amazing. you've got like, it'd be like you've got the fireman that's happening for real as a shoot. And it's like, in, in, uh, what's that? What's that movie? The Christopher Nolan one? Oh, Inception. Inception. Yeah. It's like Inception, where you've got the firemen happening in one universe, and that's one reality. Yes. Outside of that universe, it jumps out to the guys from Reservoir Dogs in the warehouse watching the firemen on tape. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then you jump out from that, and you've got a universe where Quentin Tarantino is writing Reservoir Dogs. Right? Yeah. And then conducting the interview with um, Rick Dalton... Uh, about the fireman. <sighs> yeah, that's great. It's like he's he's do, he's he's doing something cool. He's doing something great. And I, I think that I I feel like this is going to be the future for him, where he can just like draw out on his IP. And I'll be there for every single part of it. Like I told you, I I, I we started cinema speculation, and uh, first chapter is the bomb, and then it switches to the other voice. I'm just like, if it was Quentin read the whole thing, you could charge a hundred bucks for this. Oh yeah, if the if they all of a sudden, even though I bought, we have the physical book and the audio, and they're like, we're doing an audio version, but it's going to cost ten x because we decided to get Quentin. I I spend the ten x. I yeah. wouldn't ask for an update. I would just do it. Because there's everything about it. And talking about like the universes, like the three universes, what about that fourth untapped universe? Like there could be a Quentin Tarantino movie universe that exists in a non-physical realm right now that he just happens to have a straw into to suck all those juices out. And I'm not talking one of those little skinny metal straws. I'm talking about a McDonald's shake straw, you know, that's like that thick. Yeah. When you can just pull it through. And he just like, because everything about... If you try to 
come up with a word of everything he's doing, not, not only his films, but working the gimmick with this podcast. It's rich. Everything about it is rich. Somehow he's just, he's just tapping in. What happened with the stuff with Roger Avery? Do you remember? Like, I was trying to think about that because I thought for a while that they had some heat. And then, the, but you can't tell now. Now that just sounds like the same guys that were working together. Yeah, I think that was early career heat. Um, I think, well, from what I know, uh, parts of it was had to do. Uh, uh, Roger, Aver, Roger Avery was his collaborator at the beginning, you know, when they're at the video archives. Um, they had written Pulp Fiction together based on stories that they had come up with together. But when they were trying to book the movie, they wanted to book it as a Quentin Tarantino project, you know, straight up. So they basically bought Roger Avery out of the project of the of the screenwriting credit. So it could be written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Um, and obviously then it blew up. Right. Right. And then there's a like true romance was actually based on a script by Roger Avery, but then um, Quentin Tarantino completely rewrote it, and it ended up selling and becoming hit. So it was at early, early they had beef. You know, it's like success. Success happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all the shit that you used to joke about and talk about and ideas used to spin up together uh, just mattered way more. Yeah. And I think they had heat and like uh, they, they just they had to go their separate ways. Roger Avery, his early projects were getting tied to Tarantino, even though they weren't. So it was like, yeah, they just it just became one of those things. I said, we need to go our separate ways. Did you watch uh, what was his first film, Killing Zoe? Yeah, I remember it. I thought it was a Quentin Tarantino movie also at the time. That's what got me to rent it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So there was a there was an entanglement that couldn't shake. Yeah. And, and and we're all better for it because this is yeah one of the best podcasts in a long time you know definitely one that you just like you're excited when a podcast drops I haven't had one of the, a feeling like that in a while that's the first podcast that I've been on this level of excitement to just every week consume yeah it's great um, it's just uh, like whatever we get on here and talk about movies and it's fun and we enjoy it. It's listening to them or listening to Quentin talk about films. It's just, it feels like an education. It does. You, <laughs> you know do what I mean? You're because sitting at the learning tree. He doesn't just say that he likes it or dislikes it. It's like the way he sort of like justifies liking her and not liking it uh, is an education. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan. I think he's just, he's the defining director of our generation. Oh yeah, hands down. I don't know that the, who was who's coming after the, after him. I don't know. I was thinking about that. I don't know because of what what I was trying to gauge it on is what film would I go see just based on the director's name being ahead of the title. I think James Cameron is one. Yeah, James Cameron just because just because of his delivery record, you know. Yep. It's just you just you're not gonna. He has he just he hasn't had any duds. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson is another one. That's yep. sort of an event movie, but on a way lower scale. Um, Spielberg, I don't think is one anymore. No, he's not anymore. Uh, who? I, I think jo Jordan Peele fell Jordan into Peele. that position. He did. He, uh, he's one that I go every movie now. So well, he's, he's only had three. So 
It's it's he's still <clears throat> I feel like he's still in iffy territory. Even I mean I thought Nope was great. Us was um the first half was good. And then, you know, Get Out is one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. But like, you know, he's still developing very in, early. in that role. But he definitely is an event movie director. And it's crazy because it's like he was a sketch comedy actor who <laughs> fell into this role, you know? Yeah. But good management, good promotion, good marketing. Hopefully, like I said, he he, he needs to continue to replicate that. Yeah. What about uh I'd possibly put Wes Anderson in there, right? Wes Anderson definitely. Right. Um I just got the Wes Anderson tickets for the Asteroid City. Oh, you did get yours? Yeah, I had to I had to get them even though I've got the Alamo membership. I had to go ahead and book some tickets because I wanted the lunchbox. They got the Asteroid City lunchboxes. Wait, so when you buy the tickets, like you can't you buy buy the ticket to get the swag? Is that how it works? Yeah, you got to buy the ticket to get the swag. Okay. And you can't use the membership until a week before the you're showing. Right. Okay. So yeah, they, I, I I just Alamo's doing swag again, and I'm just like I'm gonna go broke now because I got <laughs> the, I got Indiana Jones tickets, and it's because they had glasses. I got the indie glasses, and Asteroid City had lunch boxes. I was like, Luchalotti, <laughs> do you want this Asteroid City lunch box? And she says, Yes, of course. Yeah, that sounds what a perfect lunch box. Yeah, for Asteroid City. Yeah, I'm excited to see that movie for sure. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what about Christopher Nolan? I guess you can save that safely put him in there now it used to not be the case but i think it is now i think to a certain group yes to me i've well i've never been super over on nolan uh dark knight i thought was his pinnacle if if i'm honest um everything since to me after dark knight has been mid from him even though so you put inception in there i would have put inception as his pinnacle I just no, I don't. Inception is fine. I don't really. It's nothing I've ever felt the need to revisit. Oh really? Yeah, I do. That's one I do enjoy revisiting. Like it comes on TNT with the ads, <clears throat> I'll leave it on. But like, I don't. Re, I I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not the hugest fan of his uh, big budget stuff he did after Batman. Well, I feel like now all he does is IMAX. Like he doesn't right. do. Like I. I I'd have to struggle to remember <laughs> what when he makes movies like Memento. His movies are great. Like from a technical standpoint, I got no heat with them at all, and I go, I got no heat with them in general. It's just not my favorite. I would put him almost in the same bucket when you a James Cameron film now, like you were talking about. Right, you're going there, but those guys are swinging for. They're swinging for the stratosphere. Right. They're not just. They're not all of a sudden just going to make a little art house piece just yeah. to say they could. They're they, like Master Kim, the Miami Connection guy. Yes, exactly. They had big aspirations <laughs> with their film. Yeah. So everything, you know, because I noticed when I was sitting in the trailer that we watched, uh, that's coming up for his new Oppenheimer. Yeah. Do you realize that the biggest font when they're showing like the actor, the title, the biggest font in there? Is like shot on IMAX cameras was the biggest font, bigger than his name, bigger than the title, bigger than the actors. Yeah, it was front and center, and it's just like, dude, is this guy? He's got to work for IMAX, right? I mean, he's he's definitely getting the IMAX uh, staff discount. Yeah, <laughs> but he's got to be like, they got to be throwing him some cash or something. No right? doubt, it adds. It I mean, they should. It gives them great publicity, and it adds a whole bunch to the budget. 
But it does look good. I think Nope looks really good in IMAX. Um, it does add a lot. You get you get it a, does. It it, it it changes the scope. Um, but yeah, I imagine IMAX is kicking him kicking him some percentages. They have to because yeah. him and them and him and James Cameron are definitely supporting. But that. James Cameron is just like I I shoot this on my own camera. <laughs> I invented the camera. It's a ball pit. <laughs> I shot this movie on a ball pit that everybody jumps into, and that's how I film it. He would do the thing, you, the story of when you talked about aliens, and he put the S, and then he put the line for signs. money. Yeah, the dollar sign. He would write IMAX, and then he would just put a J in front of it. Jim Max, <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> but, you know, we're talking about all these directors, and I still think they all pale in comparison to what Quentin Tarantino accomplishes because in the end he's not interested in anything except connecting you with a story, connecting you with characters through story. He doesn't care. Like he, you know, he preferable, right? He'll shoot it on, he'll shoot it on film. He won't shoot it on. He's not interested in any kind of gimmicks. His gimmick is great stories and memorable characters. And I don't, I never, bought into the whole thing of just like he lifts from other films it's like whatever it's films that we probably i never saw and i may never see and now that he did it i might go back and see it and i never would have seen it before so those homages that he does i've never had any kind of heat even if it's like a straight lift i think that's great well i mean he he doesn't deny it he he, he admits it's like i lift from every movie i've ever seen yeah i use it that's what you do that's what you do. You replicate the stuff you like. That's what you're. That's what you're doing when you're making your short film. Yeah, you know, you're you're re- replicating something you saw in the past or something that connected with you, and you're trying to recapture that moment by making it yourself and making it your own. Yeah, and he does. Like I, I don't know if there's been some like straight up lifts. Like I've n- I've never seen like shot by. I've seen some of the videos that are like shot for shot that look like they're like straight up lifts. Well, he lifts like little bits of style, little yeah. bits of wardrobe and shots. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of them in kill bill. That's probably the one that has the most. Yeah. You know? Um, but again, it, it's not, it's just a, it, he's not, it, he's not trying to plagiarize it. He's just doing it like a rap sample. You know what I mean? That's a good way to put it, yeah. He's just doing the exact thing that he liked from a movie, but because of who he is or the way he directs, it always comes through different. It does. You know? It has a different lens on it. Yeah. And it really works so well. So how far do you think he's going to take this, you know, going back to r.i.p rick dalton i think we're gonna we're gonna get the part two of the podcast that's gonna be great hopefully we'll see the rick dalton book you think a book book is coming yeah i think i mean if it's if if it's a thing why not i I imagine you'd have to have uh leo participate because he's gonna have to come in and take photos that they can photoshop into posters and uh you know scenes from movies and stuff like that Oh, some so, of my favorite posters are of Rick Dalton's movies that he shot in yeah. those spaghetti westerns that he shot in Italy. Yeah. I would want those front and center. Yeah. I wish like I had gotten that original Once Upon a Time in Hollywood set disc set when it came out and it had the all the Italian movie posters. 
Oh, I didn't even know they had that. I would have totally yeah. got that. I ended up with this steel book that I bought recently just because it said it had 20 extra minutes of footage, but it was a work. <laughs> yeah. It was like a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I remember you. I thought you were supposed to go with me that day. You know, I told you Alamo at the Ritz, that was the last movie I saw there. Luck was one to And they gave you a little, a little film reel. Oh, right. Right. So I still have that hanging. Uh, but yeah, he's always been. I still have the Hateful Eight, the. The book that you got during the film too, yeah. they gave you that. That was cool. <clears throat> but so I, yeah, I wonder how really far this, how far he can take this. I really think he's just like you said, creating this universe. We might get a worked autobiography, <laughs> like straight up autobiography, and then we still might get the Bounty Lost show. That might still happen. Yeah, he wrote all the episodes, right? That's again, that's what I mean, dude. It's just like, instead of just sitting down and writing Once Upon a Time, he wrote all this other stuff. He wrote a novel. He's writing backstories. He wrote episodes to a show that his character was in. Yeah. Like, how does he, it's a thick straw, brother. It's a thick straw. And he's writing, you know, and he's got it right in the muse. Yeah. He's got it right in her ass and he's just sucking. <laughs> but I just don't ever feel like he just sits there and struggles to write i just i do i again i could be wrong and he could say no i i do i have these moments and maybe it takes a long time but it just feels like he can just like on the spot tell you a movie that and i'm like that sounds like a good movie where can i get that he's like oh no i just made that up <laughs> i feel like he can do that yeah did you ever go back and watch uh george lucas's pre-documentary footage of preparing to make the prequel trilogy the phantom menace and stuff and how he would just kind of literally he would kind of lumber up the stairs and he would kind of like he didn't feel like he was going to be all that into it where i feel like tarantino would be like sprinting like a beautiful mind across a yard just like to start writing and i'll just come up with 50 pages and we we know it's it's not easy to come up like they say try to write three pages you know, and you would think that's an easy feat, but it, it's no easy feat. You know, you really got to be in the zone. Yeah. So I feel like he's just, I guess my point, my long-winded point is he's always in that zone. <laughs> when is he not in that zone? It's his job, man. Yeah. So, yeah, part two. So we recommend highly go and watch, uh, go and listen to The Day of the Dalton, part one. And it's got The Marshal of Madrid and Manhunter are the movies that he was talking about in there. But on May 19, 2023, actor Rick Dalton passed away peacefully in his home in Honolulu, Hawaii. He is survived by his wife, Francesca. Dalton was beloved by fans of Bounty Law, where he played bounty hunter Jake Cahill for five seasons and also for his iconic role as a flame thrower wielding vigilante in the fireman series i love how because of the whole flamethrower incident at the end of uh once upon a time in hollywood if you go off in the alternate history that's what ended up revitalizing his career he went on johnny carson to talk about it you know he started booking <laughs> gigs and of course they did the fireman this is the base you know obvious yeah <laughs> and it was for canon films was it for Canon? It was for Canon films, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't know it was for Canon too. <laughs> but his career spanned over 20 years. 
And on the podcast, I invite you to remember Rick Dalton. In this part one, they discuss his most famous role, including standout TV performances in Cades County and Manhunter. And they hear experts of a Q&A conducted by Quentin in 1999 between him and Rick. That's that's the trip. That's the only time that, like, Cave was never shaky for me in that until, like, it was Tarantino just reading that, that part of the interview. But I get why he did it. You yeah. know, and again, like, with his... Him talking, you can literally just listen all day. Yeah. But I kind of wished that they would have got just like, Leo, we'll, we'll, we'll throw you, like, what do you want? Like, we'll throw you a favor. Just come back and conduct this interview, which I'm surprised they didn't do it, like, on set as, a, as an acting exercise. Why? Because they love making movies. It's a podcast. And this, but, yeah. I see you. Leo's busy, dude. He he's busy. the biggest actor in the world. He's got time to do podcasts. And we're talking about that. He has a movie that's dropping, right? That is a Scorsese movie, right? right. The, the what is it called? The Flower Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon. That's it. I didn't really even know anything about it. The thing that's cool about Leo is I kind of put, and it's ironic that I think Brad Pitt got put in there too. I would say Brad Pitt maybe by a hair, but those two guys. To their credit, they very rarely pick bad scripts. Maybe Leo could have had some more questionable ones, but are, are there scripts that you can think of that those guys are in that you didn't like? At least enjoy yourself a little bit. Uh, Probably Leo more than Brad, but I, I, uh, I mean, I think Leo is pretty solid. Uh, Brad Pitt, like World War Z, I wasn't really into. Um. Yeah, I th- Brad Pitt's got. I think Brad Pitt's had a little more commercial stuff in there. Leo's never really done that commercial action movie, no. unless you count Inception, I guess. Yeah, and I don't think he would. <laughs> I don't, yeah, Brad you're right. Pitt He's... did like you know whatever, uh, Mister and Mrs. Smith and World War Z and things. The Mexican. He did things like that. I don't think Leo did stuff like that. Well, didn't Leo? Doesn't isn't that the advice that he gives young actors? Stay off drugs, watch your money, and don't do superhero films. Is the the three things that he always tells is young that a thing? actors? Yeah, that's yeah. A real. That's a shoot. That's what he tells the young actors. Those three things. Wow. And I mean, he's standing the test of time, man. He's still going, right? When you talk about, are there really movie stars that are left? And that's a big thing for Quentin Tarantino. I think that's why he gravitates to him because don't you feel like? Leo still is like that movie star. Brad Pitt still is that movie star. They're not really interchangeable. You can never really see them in a Marvel film because they're stars. Yeah, no. The characters are not stars. They're the stars. Right, exactly. So. You can't put them in a costume. Yeah. So. But now we exist in a universe where we get Leonardo DiCaprio and Rick Dalton in the same universe. Never thought that would happen. Yeah. But here we are. I wonder if they've ever met. <laughs> that would have been the interview to conduct. We need to get it. Uh, surely he's going to write that into his universe. <laughs> Did you ever see the actor studio excerpt where it was like Bradley Cooper was a, the young unknown actor in, in the, the audience, audience talking yeah. to like De Niro? How awesome would that be <laughs> if you had young Leonardo DiCaprio in that? Re- replicate that scene. Like young Leo 
asking Rick Dalton questions yeah. on acting. That's okay. We're going to tag him in that one. That's what we want to see. Do it. <laughs>